you give our God praise? That you are good, you are mighty, you are gracious, you are faithful, you are kind. You enjoy showing mercy. You're exalted when you show mercy. And you're the living God, full of hope, ready to overflow joy and love. So we open our hearts wide to you. We even open our minds to you. We pray that your love and your truth would flow into us and consistently transform us. That you would shift our perspective on ourselves and on this world. And that you would empower us that we might be fully lived out the, your purpose you have for each of our lives. We thank you that we get to celebrate you, not just now, but every single day. And live in the reality of what it is that you've won for us in your death and resurrection. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Um, I am going to dig into the word in just a second. But before I do, I, I feel a bit burdened right now. Um, this is kind of spur of the moment thing we're doing right here. I feel like I really need to take a moment and we, we need to pray as a church for mental illness. Um, I know this last year has been extremely hard, um, and I know that for some people, um, this has messed with our minds more than we anticipated. You don't have to have a diagnosis to say, yeah, I, my mind needs prayer. <laughs> um, but some of us, our minds are just chaotic places, full of anxiety, um, have a hard time focusing, sitting on a thought. Um, we may just feel like there's always accusations in our minds, or maybe you have an inner critic that just won't stop yelling at you in your head, even though nobody else is saying this to you. Can we just take a moment just to pray for those? If you realize that, man, my mind's good, great, join me in praying for those who are struggling with this, because, you know, especially in a pandemic, it's been hard on our minds, has it not? And a lot of people. So let's just join me in praying for those right now. Lord, um, I... I I just had this thing in my gut, Lord, that I feel like you're, you're asking us to pray together to lift up those who are mentally struggling right now. God, it is a, it feels at times, and it seems at times like a plague in our society. The constant barrage of just different thoughts and messages can sometimes make it very hard for us to feel at peace in our own mind. But we know that that's what you want for us, that it is, that, that, that your truth would settle upon our minds and our souls. And so I pray in this moment, just peace. Peace. Jesus, you told us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, Lord, I ask for rest on the minds of people in this room and those watching online, for those grieving, for those anxious, those whose minds just won't stop spinning, for those who feel like there's an accuser that lives in their heads, Lord, we pray for your voice instead, and that you would teach us as your people how to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ Jesus, that we might know that you've given us the tools to win the victory in our minds. I thank you for those professionals that help us with our minds. But Lord, we know that ultimately you are the ultimate guide, you are the ultimate physician, you are our creator, you are our sustainer, you are the restorer. And so I pray just healing over people's minds in this room. 
for your peace to settle upon you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have somebody that my mind has a hard time shutting off, and I have a strong inner critic too. So I, I feel you on that, but man, I, I've seen the way that Jesus can meet us right in that and transform our lives. So, well, I'm so happy to see you guys this morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, as we dig in again uh, to this New Testament book called the Gospel of Mark. Now, the New Testament opens with four accounts of Jesus' life. All you Bible scholars in here, you know it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Mark is set apart a bit from those other three, though, and that it is the shortest gospel. It is also the most action-packed. Mark loves the word immediately and th- right then. And he is always moving from one story to the next, to the next, to the next. Now, if you ever get a chance, I would strongly encourage you to sit down and just read the whole gospel in one sitting. It actually wouldn't take you that long, maybe about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, just depending on your pace. But if you sit down and read it, you'll see this gospel is not like a historical textbook. That's not how it tells us about Jesus. It's like an interactive drama. And that we are meant to see ourselves within the story and ask along with those following Jesus, who is this guy? And what does it mean to really follow him? And so that's exactly what we're doing. And two weeks ago, we had Pastor David come up here and lead us right to that place when Jesus asked his initial disciples, come out of the boat and follow him. And we heard that call to ourselves as well. Follow me. Jesus has it for every single one of us. And last week, we had Dan the Man Donahue open up for us uh, the the, the rest of chapter 1, where we encountered Jesus' authority over Scripture, over the spiritual forces of evil, and even over sickness. And this week, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, please open up and turn there with me. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Now, as you're making your way there, though, uh, Mark is the second book of the New Testament. If you're looking forward. But as we're making our way there, one thing Mark loves to do, and I want to go ahead and tell you this now because as we're reading it, you may notice other stories that are like this. In a lot of stories that Mark chooses to tell about Jesus, he features two groups, two different groups who respond to Jesus in two different ways. And he does this on purpose because he wants us to compare the two groups to each other. In the story we're about to read, we're going to meet one group, four men carrying another man who is paralyzed. And then we'll meet another group, the scribes, the long-robed experts in God's law. Now, anytime you see two groups set alongside of each other like this, one thing Mark wants us to do is not only compare them, but look for the tension in the story. Because when you look at the tension between these two groups, there lies what Mark wants us to see in the story. So as we dig in and we look at these two groups, what is it? that Mark wants us to see as he lays out the story of these four friends and the paralyzed man and the scribes. All right, and then after that, we're going to get right back to our original question. Who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? So let's do it. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. If you could stand with me as we read it together. This is, we stand as a way of honoring God's word. And as I've said before, practically, it gets blood flowing to your brain. So, a couple great reasons. All right, Mark chapter 2. Verse 1. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. 
And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in the spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Lord Jesus, as we open your word, I pray that we might see that any time you speak, you can be trusted. Because God, every time you speak, it is for our healing. It is for our hope. It is for our freedom. It is for our joy. It is so that we can live in your purpose for our lives. And so, Lord, any, anything that's my words, may they fall to the ground. Whatever is of you, may we absorb it, take it in, and let it transform us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. All right, so as we dig into the story, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. All right, so get, turn your imaginations on. Imagine we are in first century northern Israel, and you live in this picturesque, green Jewish village called Capernaum that's tucked alongside the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. It's a busy town in its own small town way, right? Its own small town way. The air smells like fish because, well, fishing is what people do there. It's the big business. But there's another stench in the air because... The wretched Romans occupy the land, and life is hard. Many people struggle just to pay the Roman tax and keep food on their tables. But today, today, there's an extra excitement in the air. A lot of people are chatting about this young Jewish rabbi who has come into town, and he has a, this authority they haven't seen over Scripture, over even demons and healing the sick. And then one day you see him for yourself. He's walking into town and you know it's him because he has a huge crowd around him wherever he's going. And he's headed for this house. And right when you see him, you strap up your sandals extra tight and you book it. Trying to beat beat him right to where it is that he's going. So that you get a chance to hear him for yourself. But on your way there, you run past these four guys carrying this paralyzed man. But okay, you know, you, you, you got your track days in high school. And you just get there before anybody else does. You find your corner. You find your spot in the house. And man, you're packed in like sardines. It smells like B.O. But you don't care. Because you got to see this guy. You got to see him. And then as you got your tight little corner already, all of a sudden you're shoved to the side by a few frowning scribes making their way to the special seats in the front. And then Jesus starts speaking. And he starts talking, saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Just turn away from living for yourselves and believe in God. Turn to him. 
And in this moment, like, you know something's different about him. Like, there's something in your gut that says, ah, there's so, like, who is this guy? We've had a lot of teachers come through, a lot of rabbis, but there's something about him that's different. Who is he? What is he about? What is he about to do? And see, all of this sets the scene for what we're about to see in this story. It's about to be unveiled before our eyes is that the way of Jesus will always confront our hearts, but in order to heal, not to condemn. We'll get back to that. But here you are back in the house, crammed in, smells bad, you got it, right? Meanwhile, outside, you have four guys who have been carrying their paralyzed friend. And they're outside, they're, they see how packed the house is, and they're, one of the guys is like, I don't know. Like, maybe we'll come back a different day. The other guy says, maybe it's just not God's will. And then another, all of them are thinking, like, this dude is heavy. We're tired. Like, <laughs> I don't want to carry him any further. But then they look down at their paralyzed friend again, and they imagine, man, what would we want if we were paralyzed too? And they say, you know what, we're not going to give up. And then one of them gets the bright idea. Hey, what if we climb on the roof of this house, pick a spot, dig through, and drop them down in front of Jesus? Well, no one else had any better ideas, so I guess they had to go with that one. Now, before we talk about this, though, we need to know something about a, a first century roof in Capernaum. See, a roof in Capernaum was pretty sturdy. A lot of people in that day had flat roofs that... They would sleep on the roof at times. They may do work on the roof. It was a sturdy roof. The first layer of the roof was about a few feet apart, big wooden beams. The layer on top of that was typically branches or twigs or some sort of wood. Now, on top of that was about two feet of mud or moss Packed down together, this is two feet. All right, I measured it out. I had a measuring tape, okay? Don't doubt me. It's two feet. That's just the first layer on that roof. These guys, and many people, because they did a lot on the roof, they would have a ladder on the side of the house. And that's all these guys needed. So they climbed up, they hoisted their friend up onto the roof. They picked their spot, and they began digging through this. Did they have a shovel? I don't know. Did they use their fingernails? I don't know. But they dug through this. And in this moment, they didn't care how crazy they looked. They didn't care how angry the homeowner was going to be, or how much it would cost, or how much time it would spend to fix it later. What they were motivated by above all else was two things. A love for their friend and a resolute belief or faith that this is, Jesus was the answer. They didn't have a complicated theology. They just knew, get to Jesus, he will heal them. And they loved their friend that much. That much. And I don't know about you, but when I read this story and I look at all that they did and were willing to do, that's what, it confronts my heart. Because I think, man, do I love like that? 
Do I love in such a way that even when it doesn't serve me, even when it costs me, even when it's messy, am I willing to love those around me? And do I believe that Jesus is the answer? So much so that I will do whatever I can, get creative as I must, be as consistent as I have to be in order to remove every barrier I can between someone and Jesus. And so imagine we're back in that house. All right, well, listening to Jesus teach, and all of a sudden we see these pieces of dirt coming down from the roof falling down onto the ground. Some of it's getting on the robes of the scribes. You're chuckling a little bit. And before you know it, bit by bit becomes chunk by chunk. And as all this is happening, the homeowner, who's probably Peter, is going, what are you doing? Like, it's my roof. It took forever to build that. Parentheses, sometimes following Jesus is messy. Okay? You take that home today, that's, that's all you got. But ultimately, chunk by chunk comes down from the ceiling until finally, boom, light springs into the room. And you look up and you see four sweaty faces looking for Jesus. And the thing is, like, it didn't just stop with a small hole. They had to fit a whole guy through. So, like, how awkward is that? It's just like, there's more and more is coming through and coming through until it's finally big enough to fit this entire man through the roof. And in this moment, what does Jesus say? You bunch of vandals? No. No, he looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, what? Hold up. The issue is paralysis, Jesus, not sin, right? Like, like, this is almost like going to the doctor for a stabbing wound and they treat you for gout. You're like, uh, I'm not sure. But what is the connection for Jesus? You see, Jesus, anytime he heals, he is interested in healing the whole person, not just part. Not just the outside, but the inside. Jesus never does anything halfway. And for him... What he sees in this guy and what he knows is is what we gain from the very beginning of Scripture. What is the connection between physical illness and sin for Jesus? Well, if you go back to the beginning of Scripture, we understand that, that all brokenness in this world, human brokenness, disease that we have in our world, came about as the result of what? Human sin. Right? When God told humanity, you are to care for all my creation. But when we decided, eh, we're good on our own, we don't need God anymore, all of a sudden, all things broke underneath us, including our own physical bodies. Thus enter disease, decay, and death. Romans 8.20 said, because of human sin, all creation was subjected to futility. Now the next question we want to ask, or at least I do, is, okay, so are you telling me That this man was paralyzed because of a sin that he committed? Was this the direct result of a sin that he committed? Now lean in here, okay? Lean in here. Because my answer to that is maybe. (laughs) Right? If you, this deserves a whole nother sermon on its own. But if you look at scripture in the Old and New Testaments, you'll see there are several examples of times that someone had a physical illness that was a direct result of sin. 
God made it clear to them, right? Like it was, if they had some illness related to sin, God said, this is why you're sick, right? But there are also many examples in the Old and New Testament of other people. Think of Job in the Old Testament who had illness or sickness, but it was not because of their direct sin. Sometimes illness and disease is simply because we live in a broken world. All right, so I'm, I'm going to say that, but I don't want you walking out of here thinking, well, like, I, I got a head cold. Is that because God's angry at me, right? Don't walk out of here thinking that. Again, like anytime you see in Scripture, it's clear, right, that this is connected to this. And sometimes illness, like, you know, right, it's because of something you did for a long time that you knew you shouldn't do that all of a sudden <laughs> your body's not doing what it should do, right? But, so don't, don't start playing with your mind like that. But the point is, we live in a broken world. And what Jesus is trying to do and what he is declaring in this moment is that he came not just to deal with the symptoms of sin, but he came to deal with the root itself. He came to reverse not only the devastation of sin, but also forgive the debt of sin itself. You guys tracking with me so far? Not just the symptom, but the root, the whole person. Jesus came to restore and to heal. And he recognizes this man's heart of faith. And before the man can even get up or do a thing, Jesus declares that his debt of sin against God is canceled, and he even calls him son. They didn't throw that term around much in that day. This is a big deal. He called him son. You belong to God. Now, everybody's wondering, well, how do we know this is true? Jesus says, well, let me just show you, in fact, that what has happened is true. Stand up, get up, walk, and therefore had a physical demonstration in front of everyone there of the reality that not only his soul, but his physical body had been healed. And what I want you guys to see in this is, you know, when I read this story initially, I was like, oof, I don't love like that. Oof. I don't believe like that. But one of the things we see is that Jesus doesn't ask us to figure it all out on our own. He says, come before me, and I'm going to meet you not with shame, but with healing. He, just like this man was laid down before Jesus. Come before me, and I want to meet you with healing, not shame, not guilt. Do you guys see that? Do you see God's heart in this? So this is one group. The four men carrying the man who was paralyzed. But there's another side, right? There's another side, and that's the scribes. Mark features the scribes. And so we see in one group, we see this group of guys who come to Jesus and walk away ecstatic, healed, totally restored, body, mind, soul, right? But then we see these other guys who walk away from Jesus, and they're just as angry, just as irritable, just as broken as they were when they showed up. Why? What is it that we're meant to see from these guys? See, when we are cold toward others' suffering and arrogant with our truth, our hearts are what's paralyzed. In Mark 2, 6, we meet the scribes for the first time. But it's not the last time we're going to see the scribes. All right? It's not the last time. We're going to see them show up even next week. But these men probably traveled from Jerusalem. A scribe in that day was a master of the Torah and all the oral interpretations of God's law. Why did they come to Jesus? So that they could be healed? No, 
No, they didn't think they needed it. Did they come to Jesus so that they could lead all the sick and the needy to him so they could be healed and hold a free clinic? No. They came as an investigation committee. They came because they needed to see who was this guy and what is he all about. But in process, here are men who walk in who see themselves as men of God, men of respect and dignity. And when they walk by a paralyzed man, they assume, huh, it must be because he sinned that God's judging him. And when I see these guys, the question that begs itself of us is how quick are we to justify ourselves but condemn others? How quick are we to try to hide our own hearts but point the finger at others? We live in a world where this is constant. Turn on social media for a moment and everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else. You're the one who's evil. No, you're the one who's evil. No, how do you say I'm evil? I'm, like, like, right? Like, like, like we use these kinds of strong, vindictive language that nothing but self-justification and condemning others. See, self-justification often comes hand in hand with condemning someone. It has to. So what are we more aware of? Are we more aware of our own hearts or the faults of somebody else. Think about our own marriages, our own families, our own co-workers. What are we more aware of in these closest relationships? Their faults, or are we willing and able to see our own as well? You see, as long as I can convince myself that I'm a good person, and as long as I can focus on your faults, guess what? I don't have to change, but you better. And as long as I don't have to see my sin, I can focus on yours. But when we choose to close our hearts off, and we, we don't allow the great physician to see and heal and recognize the sin in our own hearts, then we will also be paralyzed in our ability to love. And that was exactly the case with these scribes. They were so proud of themselves and so convinced that everybody else was not what they were that they couldn't even notice the paralyzed man out front. And instead of opening their hearts to Jesus, they approached him investigating to see if he fit with them. They're coming at him with their own boxes. Is this guy a prophet? Is he Messiah? Or is he a fake? Which category of ours does he fit in? And for the first century, a lot of these scribes, they had already had their box of what the Messiah was going to be and who he was. They knew the Messiah was coming to, to defeat demonic power, to kick out the godless from Israel, and to guard God's people against sin. That's what he came to do. That's what their tradition said. But Forgive sin? <laughs> no, that's for God and God alone. So when they hear Jesus representing something that's totally outside of their box, they say, well, clearly he's arrogant. He's a blasphemer. Because who can forgive sin but God alone? 
But here's really the issue. Is their pride as experts. And I think their jealousy over Jesus' popularity led them to a place where they were unable to receive anything from him. But they were only free to reject him. (laughs) Because he didn't fit with them. And this is the thing that chills me. Because we see that pride is not cute. The most chilling part of all of this is how arrogance and a cold heart can lead us to be on the side of evil, not the side of God. This is something because their hearts were closed. Eventually down the road, with that same cry of blasphemy, they will crucify the Son of God. Because they refused to open their hearts to him, even as he healed the man right in front of them. And the thing that I see in Jesus is nothing but mercy. Because while we want to go, like, let's be honest, kick these guys in the teeth, right? Like, like, like they infuriate me, seeing the way that they respond to Jesus. We see Jesus responds in a complete opposite way. Number one, he confronts their hearts. He gives them an opportunity to see differently. He says, why do you question in your hearts? And then number two, he even tries to reason and speak to their bad, arrogant theology. He says, I'm doing all of this so that you might see that actually the Son of Man, the Messiah, has authority on earth to forgive sin. But they didn't want a Jesus that would change them. They wanted a safer Jesus who would justify them. So where are we? Where are we? Because church, we've seen in this story that we have a God that when we open our hearts to him, he meets us with grace, healing, mercy. He doesn't meet us with condemnation. So why not open our hearts to him? That there lies the real true hope of this story contained in this story because when I read this story my initial thought was oh well the message of the story is I should be like the friends and not be like the scribes but it's far deeper than that while it does show us these things ultimately what we are meant to see in this is not just an example of how to be a good human being but to see that even when we were not who our God was. This is really a picture of our God's unstoppable, relentless love for you, for me, for all people. Because when we were paralyzed in sin, our God tore through every barrier to raise us up and call us his own. What is the barrier between us and God, truly? Sin. Our own hardened hearts, closed hearts to him. See, long ago when the the creator of all things, the God of life and light, made all things, but yet we as human beings decided, hey, we're going to turn from him, we're going to hide from him, we're going to live for ourselves instead. We were separated from God. And when we're separated from the God of life and light, thus entered the world disease, decay, and darkness. And scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 that when sin occupies and rules our hearts, that we actually become like dead people. 
We be, our hearts become cold to the love of God for us. Our eyes become blind or closed to his truth. And our bodies become paralyzed to his purpose. And Romans 5, 8 exclaims that even though that's true, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, paralyzed in our inability to please God on our own, Christ still died for us. And seeing our paralyzed state, Jesus did not say, well, I guess I'll come back another day. He didn't say, ah, this is too heavy for me. No, in the strength of everlasting love, he carried the weight of our sin and our guilt upon a cross and gave up his life. And then just as the raising of that man confirmed to everyone the forgiveness that had already happened. And when God rose Jesus from the dead, it was the confirmation that what Jesus had done for the world was true. That the power of sin and death had been broken. And that we can be forgiven if we come to him. And, and ultimately, as he rose through that grave, the barrier between us and God was broken through in, with the light of his resurrected life. And because he's alive, we can live. How? By faith. Believing that Jesus is the answer. He is the way to life. But when Jesus heals a life, when he raises a life, just like that once paralyzed man, we can never be the same. Ever. 1 John 3, 1 says that just like the paralyzed man, that you and I, we are called sons and daughters of God. We are no longer trying to earn our acceptance, our belonging, our identity, but instead we, have already, we already have it in Him. And then He says He places the very, very Spirit of our Heavenly Father within us, who begins to teach us and empower us. I don't know how to love God. Says, I'm going to show you. Well, I don't know how to believe God. Well, I'm going to, show, I'm going to take you there. I'm going to teach you how to trust me more deeply, how to love more fully, that just as Jesus loved the world without any distractions, he teaches us how to imitate his way. And then with his life in us, we become the kind of people and we become the kind of church that can't help but be moved when we see the broken and needy around us. Instead of justifying ourselves or making excuses for all the reasons why we can't, when we see what God has done for us, we can't help but commit in prayer and action. Say, I'm going to remove whatever barriers I can between people and Jesus. Trinity, do we realize that roughly 9 out of 10 people in our communities do not have a relationship with Jesus. But if I'm honest, when I initially heard that stat, my first reaction was, hmm, wow. And all of a sudden I realized, why didn't that break my heart? Why wasn't my heart moved for that? And my prayer became, God, will you break my heart for what breaks yours? Will you allow me, those, all those that I've walked past, will you show me how to see them? Will you show me how can I be obedient to you today? Well, what is it? Like, move my heart for what moves yours. And allow me to be so convinced that you are the answer, that I'm willing to do whatever I can to remove the barriers between them and you. And like, like what does it look like to be the church? 
Well, let's start by looking at these four friends and saying, what would it look like for us to say, how can we remove every barrier in the way we can because we love people that much? Even starting with those closest to us. Let's just start with our family, our coworkers, our neighbors. Who is it around us that we know desperately needs Jesus? And sometimes that might mean doing something radical and creative like opening a roof. Sometimes, I was talking to somebody this morning after first service, sometimes it just means, man, we are steady every single time we get a chance. We are praying for them, we we are connecting with them, that we just won't give up on them. How can you and I place those around us before Christ in prayer and remove every barrier we can? Because one thing that I see in this story is that the pure love and resolute faith, they unleash the healing power of Jesus in this world. That's exactly what he did for us. In a moment, we're going to take communion. Communion is our way of celebrating that our God stopped at nothing to bring us to himself, to forgive us and restore us. But before we take communion together, I want to give us a moment of silence and just reflection. Just just you and God. And during this time of reflection, I want you to get your mind back in this story. And imagine you are, I'm not sure which, but you are one of these people in the story. Maybe you're somebody who you, you relate very well with the man who is paralyzed. You feel helpless. You feel desperate. You feel needy. You just need Jesus. In this time of reflection, I just want you to imagine Jesus saying to you, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. Rise up and walk. Others of you, you may actually relate more with the scribes if you're honest. You realize ways that your own heart has been cold or prideful or arrogant. Understand that he's not waiting to condemn you in this, but open your heart to him. Just simply ask him to forgive you in that and teach you how to love. Maybe you relate more with the four friends. And that you're somebody you have been consistently loving and consistently serving. And you're coming in here today and you're like, I'm exhausted. I just need the strength of Jesus. I just need him to, to, to build me up again. I need to recharge with him. Or last, maybe you're someone in the crowd, but you're still not sure who this Jesus is. You're still asking a lot of questions and trying to explore it. In this moment, even if it feels a bit odd, I encourage you to say, Jesus, will you show me who you are? Show me who you are. So let's take a moment now, just before we take communion, to reflect and respond, and then after we have a moment of silence, I will close us in prayer. So Lord, will you speak to our hearts now?